Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Good morning. I'll try again. Good morning. Great. I'm Britt Fullerjack. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you may have noticed that I am not Pastor John Middendorf. He is taking a much-needed um, day of rest this evening, and it was his birthday this week, so next time you see him, you can tell him happy birthday. Um, you might notice I'm in a little bit of a uniform. Um, this is very helpful to me as a very short woman, you know. Not all of us walk into a room and look pastorly. Um, I don't necessarily have the height to pull that off, so I tend to shoot for a uniform, and it does a few things for me, I will say. It is helpful when I am preaching um, for the people around me to know that I don't just regularly mutter under my breath or accidentally ignore you in hallways. Um, Aaron likes to call it the fog of preaching, and it truly is the fog of preaching. Normally, the like 24 hours leading up to a sermon, I am just in my own little world thinking about what's happening next. And so when you see uh, me in this uniform, you might know that that is why I'm acting so strangely. Um, but I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy to be a part of this church and to share this pulpit. Um, it's truly a, a privilege and an honor. So I wanted to kind of introduce myself to you. It's been a while since I've been up here. So I'm Bowler Jack. I am married to Aaron Bullerjack. He's the executive pastor. He likes to say that he's the pastor of paperwork and broken things, which I think is actually true. Um, but he's adorable. Uh, this picture on the left is from our Appalachian Trail trip, which I think is the last time we left the house. I don't know, maybe, uh, ish. Um, and we also have a really amazing crew of housemates. There's like two dozen of them, and we live together in War Acres, not too far from here, about two miles from here, and I love them dearly. They're some of my favorite people on the planet. I could probably talk about them for hours, but I won't. You're welcome. And I also own chickens, and this particular um, quarantine life, I have received 10 more chicks that we've added to our original flock of three. So now we have 13 beautiful chickens. And Zach came out to my house actually um, two days after their arrival and helped me take some really cute photos. I just, I couldn't even, um, it's just the cuteness, guys. It's so cute. Um, unbelievable, unbelievably cute. And um, I love them so much. They have already become a part of our family. Um, they already have names. Well, most of them have names. Two, two of them are still awaiting names, but we'll figure it out. Um, they have already gotten quite a bit bigger at this point. They're six weeks old. That on the left is James H. Cohn, and on the right is Wilda Gaffney. And I love them very much. They're pretty much all named after um, theologians or just really uh, you know, influential people that I admire. Um, and they just fill my life with so much joy. So feel free to ask me all about them after the service. Um, in the meantime, we are in an ordinary time series um, about 
common time, except it's uncommon time. And we're, sp we're focusing specifically on current events. So Pastor John has been using this quote from theologian Karl Barth, which I think is Barth, even though it looks like Barth. I had to Google it, but I think we're right on that. And it says, take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret your newspapers from your Bible. And I think this is just another way of saying it's important to know what's going on around us, but to understand it in light of our faith. And so that's what this particular sermon series has tried to do. And we're in the book of Romans. Um, so I wanted to give you a little bit of context on Romans. And, and John's talked about this for the last few weeks, so this may sound pretty familiar. Um, but Romans is written to Christians in Rome who are trying to come back together after a period of legal segregation. So the um, Jewish Christians, and, and really all Jews in Rome, had been expelled by the Emperor Claudius around 48, 49, um, and they were considered uh, troublemakers, rabble-rousers, I'm not quite sure. But about 10 years later, these Jewish people, and Jewish Christians especially, were allowed to return. And it turns out while they were gone, the Gentile Christians, the Christians who had not been Jewish prior to following Jesus, had kind of taken over the spaces. You know, maybe they painted a little bit. Maybe they changed the carpets, the kind of thing that might rile up a congregation, you know. Um, and so when these Jewish Christians arrived back in town, things looked a little different. Things felt a little different. They weren't sure if they liked it. So Paul is kind of writing to a community, trying to figure out what it means to do life together in the midst of all their differences. And I was, I was thinking about that this week and trying to decide um, on a story from a newspaper. I don't, I don't get the newspaper, sorry, Jason. I, I will someday. Um, but as I was trying to think of a story from the newspaper, um, there is a story that kept coming back to my mind. And I will be honest with you, um, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I kept feeling the nudge from the spirit, and I would say, oh, no, no, you know, surely, Jesus, there is some other story that will be easier to talk about that we can talk about. Um, and sure enough, I, I just couldn't get away from it. So some of you have probably seen this story, but um, this incredible man, Christian Cooper, um, is a Harvard grad and a bird watcher, and he lives in New York City, and he was bird watching in New York City in a little spot in Central Park called the Ramble. Well, it's not little, it's huge, but you know, it's called the Ramble. And this particular spot is reserved for wildlife. And in this space, um, dogs have to be kept on a leash, and there's lots of rules to kind of encourage the wildlife to come back. And there's a lot of ground-nesting birds that live in the ramble that rely on a safe space on the ground. And Christian knew this. He was there for that very purpose. Um, and a woman came by with her dog who was not on a leash. And you've probably heard some of this story, but Christian asked this woman, Amy Cooper, no relation, even though the last name is the same, but um, to kind of put the leash back on her dog. And they had a little bit of a conversation, and it, and it maybe got a little tense, 
So Christian pulled out his phone and kind of started recording. So we actually have kind of a lot of the conversation on video. But essentially, somewhere in there, um, she says that she's going to call 911 and tell them that this man is endangering her life and they need to send the police. Um, and you can imagine that this story has not gone super well. My understanding is actually that by the time the police got there, both Christian and Amy had moved on. Um, and later, Christian's sister posted the video to Twitter because she was so upset, um, not him. But still, I think um, it's just been uh, really impactful for me as a story, as I was listening to this passage, as I was thinking about who we are. Um, and we'll come back to it in a minute. So I just wanted to sit there for a little bit. But this, this evening we're in Romans 8, or this morning, wherever you're watching us. Um, we're in Romans 8, and if you were around for last week's sermon with Pastor John, he had a few quotes that really stuck out to me, and I wanted to repeat them kind of as we go into this reading, because Romans, especially this particular section, chapters 5 through 8, is really connected, and Paul is making a pretty cohesive argument. But in chapter 7, you might remember from last week's sermon, um, Pastor John said, it's possible that we have underestimated the power of sin in our lives. And his big question, his big takeaway was, when was the last time that you cried out to God? And maybe the implication there is because of your sin. And I thought about that question all last weekend. I thought about that question all week. When was the last time I cried out to God um, because of my sin? Um, so that kind of leads us to where we are this week. And we can begin in 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. This is good news for us as Christians. Last week was kind of the bad news, and this week is kind of the good news, that you and I are set free from the power of sin and death in our lives. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about baptism and how Pastor Lisa asks our, our baptizees a few questions, one of which is, have you rejected evil and turned away from sin in your life? One of the commentators I read this week um, spent so much time on this verse, and he said, um, this assurance can only carry its full force if we have pondered carefully the seriousness and the weight of our sin. And verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In the next verse, actually, Paul will kind of go on to talk about the law, capital L, which is kind of the Mosaic law given to the people of Israel. But this particular verse is implying the kind of rule or presence of the spirit has set you free from the rule and control of sin and death in our lives. Death has been defeated in the followers of Christ, and we are set free from that grip of sin that causes deathliness in our lives. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. 
And the law here is um, the Torah law, the law of Moses, the set of rules to live by that has governed God's people for so long. And Paul's not implying here that the law in and of itself is bad but just that it cannot make us everything God is calling us to be. In fact, John put it, Pastor John put it last week, the law may curb our behavior, but it can never capture our heart. And I think that's what Paul is alluding to here. The rest of verse says, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus' life and death and resurrection do not do away with the law, but rather God's spirit in our lives lives in us and allows us to live out the spirit of the law, which Jesus has explained to us, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I think this language here gets a little tricky, because what is Paul talking about anyway um, when he says flesh? The Greek word here, sarx, literally flesh, but Paul is not necessarily talking about flesh and blood and bodies. Um, there is a, pul- like a popular false dichotomy among Greeks at the time of Paul's writing that essentially separated anything bodily from anything spiritual and anything physical, flesh, guts, blood, passions, embodiment, those things were bad. And anything spiritual or disembodied was good. But this is not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying that bodies are bad. After all, Jesus had a body. He's not even using the Greek word for body here, which is soma. So if he's not talking about flesh when he says flesh, what is he talking about? And I really, really like the way that Richard Rohr interprets this passage. If you're not familiar with Richard Rohr, he is a theologian and a monk out in uh, New Mexico, I believe, at the Center for Contemplation and Action. Um, But he argues that flesh here that Paul is talking about relates to a self-centeredness that we today might call ego. This ego is the false self. This is the the self that you want people to see. This is your Instagram versus reality world. This is the ego that is the false narrative we curate and cultivate and put into the world and hope desperately that people will believe that we are. He wrote, it is easy to get beyond this confusion of flesh versus spirit if we as modern people substitute the word ego when we hear the Paul used the word flesh. It gets us out of a dead-end, false, dualistic ping-pong game between body and spirit. The problem is not with our bodies. The problem is that we believe we are separate from everyone else, and beyond that, that this fragile, separate self needs to feel superior, and it's never going to work. This line of reasoning is supported by other things in the New Testament, such as John's use of sarks, flesh in scripture, Um, John says that the word, Jesus, became flesh, sarks, and made his dwelling among us. So we'll kind of go back to five real quick. 
So for those who live according to the flesh, or we might say ego or self, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This, this might seem like harsh language on the surface or out of context. Um, but the truth is, if we are um, cultivating our ego, taking care of ourself, if we are selfish, um, we cannot be selfless in the way that God is asking us and calling us to be. We cannot love God and love neighbor if we are so preoccupied with maintaining our own sense of of worth and superiority. Um, it's selfishness, it's about me, it's about what I want, and therefore cannot be about God, what God wants about God and neighbor. But you, the Christian audience that he's talking to, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We are dead to this sense of ego, this need to create ourselves, to um, be our own thing. And the spirit is life and righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So this hope, this freedom from sin and death is not just for this life, but all the way to the resurrection. This is the good news, that you and I are no longer slaves to sin and death. We've been freed up to love God. We've been empowered to love neighbor. We can live the life that God is calling us to live. For me this week, um, I've been dwelling on this text quite a bit, as you might imagine. And one of my personal stories that came up for me this week, or something that happened to me this week, I guess, in light of this text, um, was that I went to a coffee shop. <laughs> if you know my husband Aaron and I, you know that we're like sort of coffee obsessed. We spent several years um, as coffee shop missionaries in Europe, first in uh, Poland and then in England. So I'm all about coffee. And if you're like me, maybe a lot of us have been trying to do our best to support Black-owned businesses in Oklahoma City, maybe get outside your comfort zone a little bit. And my friend Jamise told me about Culture Coffee, um, which is kind of just on the east side um, near downtown. And I was pumped. I, I think I might actually have put photos on here. Yes. So she threw up some photos on Instagram, and I was so excited to check it out. I literally went the next day. Um, Aaron and I share a car, so kind of coordinated everything so I could get down there. Um, and it was so cool. It was super cool. And there were clearly a lot of other people who had just discovered it, um, kind of a few couples that I saw sort of taking selfies in front. And we, um, I bought my coffee and kind of walked around. They have these really cool um, artists' paintings, maybe, of different civil rights activists um, which were just so inspiring. I didn't have time to 
sit and drink my coffee there and kind of um, soak it all in. But went back out to my car with my coffee and my banana and, um, you know, got situated, peeled my banana. Maybe I shouldn't tell you that I was driving with a peeled banana, but, you know, this life happens on the road. And um, so I got in my coffee, you know, with my banana and my coffee and in my car. Um, and I got to tell you, I was pretty proud of myself, right? I'm proud of myself for going out of my way. You know, I was doing my justice thing, buying coffee. Is that how that works? Maybe. I don't know. And um, I got about two blocks down the road and felt a nudge in my spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt a kind of nudge from the spirit, but I audibly gasped. Um, And I'll tell you why. I realized that as I was walking out of the coffee shop, a, a black couple had been walking in. And as I had gotten in my car, a a black man had passed me in my car. And as I had gotten to the stop sign two blocks later, a black woman had passed my car in her um, front yard. And that stop sign stopped me in my tracks. I realized that check in my spirit was about some really negative thoughts, almost subconsciously that I had had encountering each of those people. Not, and we really hadn't even, I really hadn't even, let's say, encountered each of those people, to be honest. Um, they were just passing by uh, in different ways along the road. Um, and I felt really checked and um, felt this grace from God that was not condemning, at all, but just this sense that I should move forward and maybe not do that. You know, kind of the way that a really um, great parent might say to you, you're like, maybe, maybe let's not do that. You know, it was kind of like that. It was not um, harsh, but it was forceful and overwhelming. And I, I sat and listened to it for a while. Um, I did eventually go because I was at a stop sign. But um, I really, uh, it, it really stopped me, and I really sat, and I really soaked it up. Um, and it, it made me think of this story that kind of goes with the passage that we just read. Um, this is from John 8, 2. Early in the morning, he, this is Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this one woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test Jesus, so that they might have some clear charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And two interesting things to to note here. Um, women don't have a lot of power back in Jesus' day. They weren't really treated as humans. They were kind of treated more like property. And if you'll notice, this is an accusation of adultery, but there is only one person. They have only brought the woman to Jesus. Um, So this tells us something about their value of this human versus their value of the other human involved in this. 
Um, and also, Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. First of all, artist Jesus, so cool. Um, but second of all, I think we spend a lot of time wondering, what was Jesus writing? What is this curious thing that's happening? Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen a parent after a child has said something they clearly should not have said. You, you should know better. And rather than, uh, you know, all out kind of going off on this child, a good parent kind of sits there and goes, you want to try that again? Maybe, you know? For me, that's what Jesus is doing here. It's kind of a little pause. Let's just, just take a moment. Like, you want to hear what you just said? You want to try that again? Um, but they do not. They kept on questioning him. And he finally straightens up and he says to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And what I really like about this second time is that same postural move. Jesus doesn't say, let any one of you without sin cast the first stone. No, right? He does not monitor them to see what happens next. He kind of checks out a little bit and writes on the ground. Um, maybe he's conflict averse. I would totally identify with that because I am super conflict averse and like, you know, not super excited about confrontation. So this move, uh, you know, is really right up my alley. But maybe he's just attempting to do this in a non-shaming, non-condemning way. Maybe. And when they heard it, they went away. One by one, I love this part, beginning with the elders. <laughs> and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And this woman here is not derogatory, it's just an address. Um, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Or kind of the way I learned it growing up was, go and sin no more. That may be a little more um, familiar to us. And often I read this story about a woman, or I read this story about Jesus. But this time I read this story about these accusers, these men who felt so superior to this woman, who needed to feed their egos by tripping up Jesus. Did Jesus put them in their place? I don't know. Maybe it was a nudge from the Spirit of God, maybe a still, small voice to their hearts that said, go and sin no more. But you want to know something ironic about this story? Sometimes I hear this story and feel superior to these men. Those are terrible people. I would never do that. I would never throw stones at someone for sinning. Hello there, ego. <laughs> Guys, y'all, it's easy to throw stones. It's easy to throw stones at Amy Cooper. Social media makes it real easy. 
It's easy to tell ourselves that we are better than someone like her because we would never do that. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're better than all of that. Maybe you would never throw stones at Amy Cooper. But maybe you've been throwing stones at people throwing stones at Amy Cooper. I must confess, if these last few years have taught me anything, it's that I've got a lot of that in me too. And if you're like me, maybe you've got a lot of that in you too. Honestly, if I'm honest about it, I think the Holy Spirit has been trying to point out my white superiority to me long before I've started listening, but never in a shaming way, never in a condemning way. Grace, just grace, that little, whoa, was that loving to your neighbor? If you wrestle with some of this or you've thought about wrestling with some of this, you're in the right place. And we've got things going on. We've got the cross and the lynching tree is a Wednesday night class you could go to. You could talk to Kaylee and Sydney about getting more involved with our neighborhood empowered. It is my prayer that we might be a people filled with the Holy Spirit who are free from the sin and death of keeping up with our egos. It is my prayer that we might listen to the nudges of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These nudges that do not seek to condemn us. But rather move us toward a love of God and neighbor. These nudges that allow us to be a fulfillment of the law, to love God and neighbor, to have another chance at it. This is the good news, that in Christ Jesus, we are not condemned. We are free to go and sin no more. We are freed to be all that God has called us to be, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and leave the life of the flesh behind. Won't you pray with me? God, I confess that the nudges of your spirit do not always stop me in my tracks. Lord, it is so easy to move on with my day, to argue, to get defensive. Lord, I pray that you would help me to put down my stones, to be filled with your spirit, to love you, to love neighbor, the way that you are calling me to be. And I'll give you a moment here to pray your own prayer of confession. Wherever you are on a journey like this, I pray that you would take this moment to hear God's voice and respond.
God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thoughts, in word, and deed, by things that we have done, and by things that we have left undone, and by things that we have thought and moved on. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may delight in your will, that we may walk in your way to the glory of your name.